From the PSIA ASI Mobile Studios in Eagle Vale, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair and Part 2 of the History of Inner Ski with Mike Porter. Mike, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with us. Pleasure to be here. Now, Mike, we had a really nice conversation about the early years of inner ski. Let's get into when America really began to make an impact at inner ski and began to be noticed. PSIA really started to get some ideas out there. I think probably the the biggest change we brought in was initially was in 1974 when we went to Czechoslovakia. And this one, we introduced the skills concept. And it was very rudimentary at that time. Uh, part of it was evolved that as a team, we realized we didn't ski alike. We had members from the east and... Uh, they skied a lot of short turns, pivot turn, edge set turns. Then we had people from Utah uh, that skied the deep powder round in that California people that was more wide open, bigger turns coming at that time. Uh, we had P.J. Jones, who had been through the French ski school at that time. He was part of it because Bridger Bowl was a French ski school. Uh, I came, I was from Alpine Meadows in California, and I'd been to the Austrian ski school, so I skied with a little bit more counter. Uh, and we, so we had a broad mix, basically. And here we had a bunch of really good skiers, but we didn't all look exactly the same. And we didn't all choose the same turn radius, you know, as, as our baseline turn. And so, so we said, the best thing we said is, what is it? I mean, how can we all be good skiers but not ski alike? And we realized we didn't have enough time to train to ski alike. So, we, I mean, it was driven by necessity to some degree, too. But we realized that, that skiing was a bunch of skills, and then you'd package them to give the outcome you wanted. Um, unfortunately, this time, we probably had like 35 skills. Um, but we went to Interski confident in the idea that, that we're American, we're independent, we don't all like to follow. And that one of the things that saw the earlier growth of PSIA and why people wanted PSIA instructors was they weren't satisfied with trying to learn the final forms that we talked about that the traditional skiing had been so restrictive on how you looked on your ski and what you did and it was missing that fun element that playful element the the uniqueness the personality concept so we were very happy with that but in a very structured world you know we looked a little bit out of place so so we, we went out there and we, we showed. We ski different ways and, and having fun and all that. It was good. And we, were, and we were a little bit worried. Did we make a sense? Because everybody's trying to do these precise turns. But then the French came and spent like the first 45 minutes of their presentation teaching very strict progressions, this and that. And they say, that's how we teach. And then they said, now we'd like to show you how we ski. And they ski totally different. Completely different than how they taught. Completely different. And, and basically, it reinforced sort of what we were saying. And your message was, was right our on. message there. <laughs> and then, the, you know, the press was wondering what we were doing. But it was fascinating that the members from other teams came up and said, we wish we were you. You guys got to ski. You were really, you got to ski. You got to have fun. You got, you, you shared the, the reason why we ski. That, that energy, that enthusiasm, the sensations. Um, so the press, we were okay there, and they, they got an idea there was a change there. But we really were, were rejuvenated by, by what the other team members came up and said. And then when we left that inner ski, we had another mini inner ski up in uh, 
Seattle. And we brought a number of the, the countries over, but we went as a group and we talked and we, we refined it. And basically, we came out of that meeting with the original skills concept with the three skills overriding by balance. So, uh, you know, it was kind of a backdoor entrance, but it was a big statement because it basically said out there, we don't have to be restricted. We don't have to be enclosed. We're not locked, locked in with these performances. So that was a great start. Now, how do you come together and decide upon the message that you're going to deliver at Interski? We did it as a team, basically. With uh, Max Lundberg was the coach at that time, and we 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 were just picked. We went there, and and we were hoping that the organization had a big, tight message already. And then they go, "No, we selected you guys <laughs> to, to create a good message." And Max, you've been on the team before; you can help out. Uh, and literally, we discussed it. I mean, literally, on the airplane, we, we did a little training session in Stover, Vermont. So as you were going over to Interski so, well, I mean, is when it, you came up with it. Yeah, we were going right there. And yeah, we, and we did the training session in Stover, Vermont and talked about it. And that's why, that's why we started. Originally, I think we had like 65 skills. I mean, it, we taught pole planning was a skill. I think blowing your nose was a Blowing your nose while moving mm-hmm. might have been a skill. Um, but we refined it more. But no, as, as a team... We started creating it, and then we, when we came back, we got with more of the educational people, too, and, and we refined it even more. But uh, no, it really was a, a collective effort there. Now, how did uh, America's inner ski team grow through the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s? Uh, are selections different now than they Oh, it was to totally be? different. Well, before, before, the team was just inner ski. So they did inner ski, and then they, they were disbanded. So it didn't exist. So we came back from the the seventy four inner ski, and we as a team, we got together and we said we just learned so much being exposed to the the French, the Austrians. I mean everybody out there and the process. They said it's it's a shame to disband it. I mean we just finally got our our foot in the door, and we understand it. So we as a team went to the PSA board of directors and said, can we stay on a team? We it's not going to cost PSA anything. We're going to self-fund it. Um, and at that time, we actually created a ski pool. And Lang was one of the first suppliers in the ski pool. And then uh, a little bit later, K2 came in there. Hart came in there. Um, but we went around to the ski industry people and started saying, we want to promote ski teaching. We want to get going. We want to deliver this message. And they're very supportive. And, and that's how the national team. And that's formed. how the national one. And so we would stay together. And and initially we'd do a training. I mean, remember one of our first trainings was a Keystone, and basically we did clinics at night for the Keystone instructors to pay off our lift tickets, so we could get free lift tickets during the day to go train. And we did the same thing at Eldora. We were down there. Uh, you know, we'd stay in each other's houses. Who had a house? Who had a flat? Um, but we were, I mean, it was a fascinating group of guys at that time that really were driven to promote the sport. They, they, we got our toe in the water. We saw what was there. We saw the opportunity. I think we really saw that, that, that we had a little difference because we really enjoyed skiing. We enjoyed teaching. Um, so that's how the team started. And the next dinner ski at 79 was in Japan, Zhao. And really, we presented the, the four skills, finally that modified concept so you went from 65 down to four no yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and it was a pretty it was a pretty neat deal because we had three different uniforms 
different colors. So one was rotary, one was edging, one was pressure. So it would mix the people to show how we blended the skill. So if the skill was more edge, we may have two blues and one red and one black. And then, so all of a sudden it was a visual impression of the skill balancing and integration. And um, the, the, for the indoor presentations and all that, we did teaching theory. And this is one of the first times that we talked about who the student was, student-centered teaching. Uh, you know, how do we teach a student? Up to then, it had really been uh, far more on the mechanics. You know, and the Europeans had a lot of college professors and universities working in it because a, a lot of the, uh, the instructional courses were university. You could get a degree to teach. They were that type of profession. But it was all on mechanics. Uh, so this really was the first introduction in the world power to teaching. And so once again, this was a leadership position for the U.S. And, and we did a lot with music. We played music to try to create a very free spirit, a fun, playful environment. Um, now I'm thinking a, a big change that's coming up is children's ski school. Correct. So how did that come in? Was that ever highlighted at Interski at yeah, all? Yeah, that was highlighted, but as a separate entity. They, it was. They had a number of different venues. I mean, there's a lot of indoor talks, indoor presentations. So children's had a, had a lot of talk down there. Uh, and the Europeans were beautiful about creating these children's learning areas. You know, so they always had what ski schools were best. Like if you went to Kitzbühel, they had a great one with little forts and little bows and banks and terrain learning and all that i mean pretty spectacular so you had that one there's also it was a cross-country element going on there because once again a lot of interski was associated with universities and professors and coming in and teaching so so that was that was handled sort of on a lower level but the real showcase where you got the press because once again it was still press how do you get people involved and uh, even on the american side for us it was press because we wanted to get the people come to uh, PSIA ski schools. Um, and we were fortunate, like the 74 inner ski, we had a huge feature in Sports Illustrated. And I think we were going to be on the cover, but then I forget, something came up. So we were on the cover up to the last moment. But that's, that's how well-treated the sport was. I mean, but we literally had about a 10-page spread in Sports Illustrated talking about skiing and teaching and skills concept and this learning. And, and you really wanted to get that, that message out there because we wanted to create more students. And, and this was, we were trying to get more skiers at that time. Skiers were trying to grow. Skiers were, were competing among each other. Um, for, primarily for students because you didn't have enough people that knew how to ski. I don't care what your uphill capacity was. There wasn't the population hadn't skied. Where now when we look at it, we've got generations of skiers. I mean, you look at the baby boomers out there where you got their grandkids skiing now. They're you know, third generation down there. But at that time, there was no previous generation. I mean, there was no, virtually no skiing in the U.S. prior to, you know, mid-1930s. Now I'm thinking two other big changes. Grooming has come along now in the 80s and 90s. And I mean, where it's huge and uh, as well as the equipment changes, has that changed our teaching and outlook on skiing? Oh, yeah, it did, definitely. Uh, to the point where following the 89 inner ski, we talked a lot. Well, we, 82, we talked about skiing as a playground. That we looked at it and how you could use different terrain and different conditions and set up different learning elements there. Um, 
very much talking about how kids learn and how adults could learn in that and creating really how to create the best learning environments. And a lot of that was, was driven by the fact that we could have groom runs top to bottom. You know, and it could be a green run. I mean, up to that time, you really didn't talk green, blue, black. That was early days that you either could stand up or you couldn't stand up. Uh, so, so that naturally was an evolution in there, coming in there. And then the following inner ski, we spent a lot of time talking about tactics. You know, trying to get people where they could learn to ski more parts of the mountain. Because all of a sudden, if you had grooming and you had a black run, how did you learn to ski it? Whereas before, without grooming, if anything was, you didn't dare venture out on it. I mean, you had to be a, a very much of an athlete. And what grooming did is it opened up more terrain to the mortal person. You know, the average skier could do more. So we, but you had to know what type of turn shape was going to work and what type of turn would work best. And so how you could take this intermediate skier and expose them to more terrain. So one of the real things we were pushing is how do you create a lifelong skier? And how do you get the families involved in the situation? Um, and, and that sort of climaxed the, the following inner ski in, in 92, 90, no, 91. Mm-hmm. 91 in St. Anton, where we went over there and we had uh, disabled skiers with us. We had snowboards with us. We had telemark. And up to this time, it had just been alpine skis. Only alpine. Only alpine skis. And we basically said, do you want to bring your whole social group? I mean, who's your family? Bringing them up, your extended family. There's no reason why you shouldn't enjoy the mountain environment. So once again, that really was our message where a lot of the Europeans were still this nice formal skiing and very precise technique. What we're going is, you know, how can you integrate the whole group in there? You know, as an instructor, do you know how to teach multidisciplines? Because realize you may be out with a family group and two of them could be on a snowboard, one's on a telemark, whatever, uh, anybody with disabilities, why shouldn't they be able to join too? Why are we restricting the environment from, from that aspect? So to me, these are the contributions we've made that come up there. And if you look at just pure skiing, you know, we went way beyond that. I mean, how, why do you c- compete with the Austrians or the French that are bringing World Cup skiers to their venue making turns when we're about teaching skiing? We, you know, we've always tried to place the individual number one. I want, to, I want to teach to the student. I want to relate to the student. I want to make them feel comfortable. I want them to have a good day. It doesn't matter how pretty the turn is. Did they survive? Did they have confidence? Did they have control? Do they want to come back again tomorrow to enjoy it? And we've sort of had an offbeat message there. So back to the original point, what have we really contributed? That, that we want to get people involved in the sport. We realize it's open to everybody. We realize not everybody out there is is an Olympic level athlete that given the amount of grooming we have, the train we have, we can get you on the mountain. You can ski for numerous days. We can find a good pace for you, get you comfortable and all that. Uh, so this is where we talked about group dynamics, family dynamics, how do you integrate kids? I, I mean, on the whole children's spectrum, this how children learn and what their level of learning is and what their performance levels can be, their coordination. Um, no, we, and how about seniors now? I mean, I remember when it was 65 and older, skis free. Not anymore. No, I wish. <laughs> That's like your biggest yeah, yeah. <laughs> demographic. Yeah, yeah, and you know, once again, look at the whole skills concept. You can get the right skill blend to hand, handle any age. Because, I mean, I look at seniors, but I, I think one of our goals is to make sure we keep it fun and exciting and enjoyable 
to handle all ages. Uh, and when some people get older, some people older are unbelievably fit, fitter than someone 20 years old, and some are not. I mean, it. I, I think we see the same thing because we have we got seniors, but we have a, a country that may not be the most most athletic these days. Or we're, we're there's a definitely concern that our kids aren't getting enough physical activity, outdoor this and that. So they aren't say maybe the athletes that we had in the 60s. Um, so I'm looking saying we've got to be able to capture everybody in there. We've got to make it efficient. Hopefully they they get involved so that they, they start enjoying the, the beauty of being outdoors and the healthy aspects of it. Uh, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the American influence. I'm thinking of our previous show where you were talking about the Austrians, the Swiss, and the French. But now we have uh, PSIA national team members who are going to China to help them set up their uh, ski organization and their ski schools and to other countries as well. When did that begin to happen with PSIA ASI? Interestingly, it, it once we got the team established in 74, it started happening then. It did. It did because all of a sudden that a lot of the, the different markets realized that that they could probably have more fun learning with us, that we weren't as strict. Uh, we were invited up to uh, Sweden. We did a number of, of what they're called alpha courses, which were five-day programs where we were training their top instructors. And over the years, they had had some French come up. They had the Germans come up. Uh, but we started a, a multi-year program with them because they liked how we teach. They thought we could relate better with the Scandinavian personality that was a bit more free form, that was a bit willing to take chances to go out there and look and have fun and they didn't want to be restricted by these final forms um they 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 enjoyed being in the outdoors they wanted to engage in the outdoors and as long as they were still alive at the end of the day all was good uh, so that really started impacted uh we the uh in germany a lot of influence in holland people don't realize the dutch are a huge market of skiers. I mean, they have a lot of indoor domes. Oh, they do. Domes, yeah, in there. And they've got artificial ones in the plastic outside. They're huge. Belgium's huge. Denmark. Uh, we really made a fascination there because they liked our learning theory. They liked teaching theories. They liked how we related to, uh, to the individual, that it, was, it wasn't do what I say that says, what do you want to learn? What type of learning styles do you have? You know, what type of pace do you want to go at? Uh, so we was huge there and they were buying a lot of our manuals i mean we sold a, a tremendous amount of manuals to all those countries there it was huge and during the 80s uh our team members were in japan i mean i used to go over that at least once a year but we probably had five or six team members in japan for almost two months over the course there they really wanted to learn the american way and the freedom and uh they liked the idea of america uh, yep. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of, of Interski. What are you expecting to see this year? Do you, do you get excited about it still? I mean, you sound like it as we're talking. Oh, I, so. I, I do. I, I, I think what's interesting now is that Interski, in some sense, went through a little bit of a, of a calming area in that the perception was that, that basically nations ski pretty similar now. When you look at it, we understand biomechanics and physiology and gravity that, that if you look at the top skiers now, it, it's, 
it's basically it's performance based. So your body has to be in the most optimal position. Whereas when they used to have the feuds between the countries, it was stylist. So it didn't matter biomechanically if you're perfect. It was what style did you like? And you weren't skiing that hard or that proficient to take it out. So basically all the countries start to ski fairly similar. So that so it's come out of saying, why do we really need an inner ski? Or what are we going to gain at inner ski? And, and I think the and for a while that was it. It was, almost was a show. I mean, they really had the Europeans really push for this idea that inner ski should be a show. And we did one in Japan in, uh, yeah, I think, 94, 1994. And basically, you couldn't comment on what you taught. Basically, every country, you'd do a run, then another country would do a run, another one, and it was just a show, the music, and it's all formations. And, uh, and, and that's when we as a country said, why are we getting involved here? You know, and after that one, we, we basically backed out of Interski because it really wasn't this educational showing. It was, man, here's the show to promote our sport, to create more skiers. And we go, okay, you just do a video and put music on and put a, you know, it, it didn't matter if you had Americans, Austrians, Germans, just put a bunch of skiers out there that look good and you promote it. Uh, so there was that period going on. And now there's, now it's last two interstices, we're starting to get a resurgence in that we're really looking more what's happening behind learning theory. How do you create the best classes out there? Um, starting to look at what's the most efficient progressions. I mean, it's just not how do you get there, but, but how do people learn, realizing that we've got to make this sport doable to a huge population, that we just can't take the fittest being... You're in the mountains, you should be able to enjoy it. If you spend half your life on a green and blue run, it's fine. Do you enjoy it? It's fresh air. You're out with your friends. You're talking. You're laughing. Uh, so really trying to get what's the most efficient, what's good equipment for that. You know, how can we get you there the most efficiently, the least amount of, amount of work. Um, so we're learning a lot more on that and how people learn. And, uh, you know, we're talking now is just trying to figure out, you know, biomechanics, what muscles really work. I mean, how much scientific scientific Work has gone into what muscles work, how do they work, how do you, what can you train them. Um, so I think we're, we're back in that cycle again where we're trying to get educational. And, but at the same time, this excludes some countries. I mean, some countries aren't in that one. Uh, but like the Austrians, they're worried. In, in Austria for a while, they, they've basically totally redone their teaching program. Because they were so focused on carving and, you know, doing these demos on the short slalom skis and everybody's so precise, so accurate, laying these big angles over. And we all go, yeah. But the consumer wasn't, wasn't excited about it. The, the ski school directors in Austria are saying, we're not selling carving lessons. You can't carve in powder. You can't carve on a really steep hill. You don't carve in the bumps. You know, what, what message are we sending to the, to the people we want to come enjoy our mountains, to take our ski school but, all, but back to that whole tourist deal, that, that if we're not teaching good skiing where we can keep people there, we're going to lose people in our towns. They're not going to come for a holiday at an Austrian resort. So they've gone a little bit more to stylized skiing, a little bit more shape turns, not the big edge angles. It's not saying it's excluded, but it's not the foundation. Um, you know, the French are trying, how do I capture people there? What's going on? Um, you know, we're all... All countries now are saying, what do we do with millennials? 
you know, what that's a question. Are they, I mean, they have a tendency in theory that they dabble in a bunch of stuff, but maybe don't commit themselves 100%. And, you know, what are we doing? Is it, is it going to be enough to excite them or not excite them or captivate them? But it's, you know, to, to me, we're, we're back in another cycle where, where we're getting some really interesting data coming. And, and it's going to be, once again, I think it's going to be the key nations. I mean, Austria has a lot riding on this. France has a lot. Italy, Switzerland, U.S., Canada. Um, those, are, those are the countries that have the big resource that they want people coming to. And everything's international now. If you look at U.S., we, we rely a lot on international destinations to keep our big resorts going. Canada's the same way. Uh, Austria needs them. France needs them. The, everybody does. So we're, so we're competing on a world market. And, and sort of once again, you can almost look to it at the, the emerging populations, India, China, because you mentioned earlier, why are we in China? Well, people are looking at how many billion people live in China <laughs> and, and, and the emergence of a middle class so that they do have money. I mean, the whole point is is they have the ability to want to explore. And uh, and one of the classic things in, in China is people want to see what the rest of the world's like. So they don't want to just ski in China. They want to go... You know what's new? What's America look like? What's Europe look like? Uh, so that's why we're spending a, the PS, our organization, spending a lot of time over there to get them involved. And in, this is how we teach ski, and this is how we train, and we're training their instructors to to train our message. It's kind of like America when I, when we talked about in the in the fifties and early sixties when we got all the the foreign invaders coming in to try to take hold of that marketplace and and encourage them to come to us and i know the austrians have people going over there the french doing a little bit over there i mean it's it's like we were 50 years 50 ago years ago there we are there <laughs> well, we Mike go Porter, it goes around comes around thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about interski anything you want to add in closing i think for our membership they should be excited what we're doing and to uh, and really to to look into what we're doing because once again, when you see it out there, it's fun to research, and, and it's, it's not absolutes. It's not black and white. We present this information to create discussion because people learn differently. You learn differently. Uh, what outcomes people want is different. That Basically, if you have a really good knowledge base, you can really reach a lot of the audience. And I think that's what we're really excited about. And from our new manuals to the online educational systems and these podcasts and all that, it's a great opportunity to get more information. And I mean, personally, I'm jealous because when I learned to ski in there, I mean, we waited every month for Ski Magazine to look at the ski instruction pointers because at that time, the PSA didn't have anything. And when they did, they wrote one manual, but that was it. There was nothing else coming. So you really got your information from from the ski magazines and the journals. And every now and then you'd see skiing on TV. The wide world of sports would show an event. Uh, whereas right now with the Internet and all this, there's so much information. And it's just fun to play and get in these discussions. So very excited. And I just hope everybody else stays excited. It's a wonderful sport. It's a lifelong sport. And it's family sport, friends sport, social group sport. You all can enjoy it. Thanks very much, Mike. Thank you. From the PSIA, AASI Mobile Studios in Eagle Vale, I'm George Thomas.